0: Hello everybody and welcome to Critically Reclaimed, the podcast that used to be called the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, but then we accidentally called it Critically Reclaimed once and we liked it. <laughs> Total
1: slip of the tongue and uh, wouldn't you know serendipity, so yeah. here we
0: are. So now we gotta come up with other other prefixes for claimed and we'll come up with whole podcasts based around that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this is a podcast in which we watch older movies that are available on various streaming services because, in our general uh, estimation, people tend to focus on what's new on streaming services what are the exclusive releases, the original releases, the new shows, the new movies. And sometimes we overlook the fact that there are older films that are available on these services that are important, overlooked, uh, worthy of reevaluation. And we let our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network decide every episode which movie we should review on which particular service. My name is William Bibbiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And... um
1: this is a great opportunity for us as well. Yeah. Just for us personally, uh, because uh, we haven't seen, at least one of us hasn't seen uh, each of the movies we talk about.
0: Yeah. Every week, uh, or, or sometimes there's a delay, but every week uh, mm-hmm. we each pick two films from a streaming service. And uh, we each pick two films that we either haven't seen or we haven't seen in so long that we barely remember them or we don't feel like we've seen them recently enough to be able to speak about them in a meaningful way. And then our patrons get to pick. So at least one of us is either coming in with no awareness whatsoever what they're getting into, or they're going to be you know, they're they're gonna be scooping out their brain like, Oh, I vaguely remember this scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this one was one of yours, was it not? Uh,
1: this was a film I had not seen until a few days ago.
0: At all? Not, not a frame. Okay, because I saw this when it came out. I saw it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then I haven't visited it in at least 20 years. So this is a really wonderful rewatch for me. Uh, this is a movie that is considered, and I think reasonably so, by a lot of people to be one of the best movies of the 1990s. I've heard it called one of the best American biopics. I've heard it called one of the best films Spike Lee ever made. And boy, is that saying something. Let's talk about Malcolm X. Malcolm X came out in 1992. Uh, it was a controversial film in a lot of ways, and it was controversial before it was even made uh, because Malcolm X, uh, the uh, civil rights leader who was uh, tragically assassinated, uh He's left a really complicated legacy in his wake. He's a person who changed his life and his views multiple times Mm -hmm. throughout his life, and what people took away from his teachings sometimes varies. And a lot of people were afraid that if anyone they made a a Hollywood biopic about Malcolm X, surely it couldn't possibly do his complicated and inspirational life justice. Uh, So there was a lot of like, then this movie been trying to get off the ground for decades. Yeah. Uh, Norman Jewison was going to make it But people complained And I think rightfully so That the life story of Malcolm X Probably shouldn't be told by a white guy Yeah. Uh, so there was Spike Lee was able to step in It's a story he was very passionate about And even that was a controversial choice can Spike Lee well, do Malcolm X justice? Because uh, up to this point, Spike, this was Spike
1: Lee's uh, one, two, three, four, sixth feature film. Uh, mm-hmm. He previously done She's Gotta Have It, School Days, Do The Right Thing, uh, Mobetta Blues, and uh, Jungle Fever. Yeah. Uh, pre- prior to Malcolm X.
0: Pretty and, impressive start to any career. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean... one of Spike, those I consider one of the great American motion pictures.
1: Well, and Spike Lee is one of the great American directors. He yeah. is uh, one of the most important voices working. And... Uh, that he essentially had to put on the uh, Hollywood prestige hat and, uh, you know, tell a story in his way, but with sort of this uh, uh, prestige picture uh, imprimatur hanging over him uh, was seen as maybe a dodgy proposition. Mm -hmm. Uh, His movies tend to uh, be... Not chaotic, he's actually very controlled, but very energetic and very mm. forthright mm. and very direct.
0: Very confrontational, and, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, he he doesn't make your Oscar bait pictures. That no, his movies have and, been nominated for Oscars. Frankly, they've often been overlooked, and we'll talk about how Malcolm X is treated by the and, Academy at some indeed, point. But like, it, but, it's it he's they're not Oscar bait films.
1: I'm looking at Malcolm X though, and I'm thinking that I'm reminded a lot of De Palma's The Untouchables mm. in terms of the its. Uh, how mannered a film it is mm-hmm. uh, in comparison to the director's other work. You look at Brian De Palma's other movies, they're these like kooky lesbian noir dramas mm-hmm. and you know, weird things with these bizarre all, near supernatural twists. Mm-hmm.
0: Incredibly experimental makes, in every yeah, single way. It, yeah. you
1: know, there's a lot of like split screen and you know, weird uses of color and sound. And, and plot points that make uh, sense
0: kind of in a dreamlike way, yeah, but not and, in any sort of reality. But and, and... then
1: you watch something like The Untouchables, and that's like a straightforward story with characters, and you can kind of follow mm. it and as good production. No really amazing photography. The it feels like is amazing. A, it looks like, a, it looks and feels, and it was scripted by David Mamet. So, yeah. you know, of course it's like this really tight script and uh, not accurate to history, whatever, but... No, but uh, it's an
0: incredibly, it's an incredibly spectacular mm. cops versus robbers thriller. Yeah, so... Yeah.
1: Th- this was Brian De Palma putting on that Hollywood prestige code and proving mm-hmm. that he can work within that framework. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is as close as Spike Lee ever got to doing the same sort of thing. Well, mm-hmm uh but mm, yeah kind i guess uh, this is also a film that starts with footage of Rodney King being beaten by cops interspersed with a burning American flag
0: so yeah. he's confronting you from frame 1 yeah and this is a movie that actually there was a lot just, it's so weird to think that in 1992 Spike Lee was at the forefront of a biopic of Malcolm X which would and hopefully you could have just seen it on the page but mm. It would become one of the most acclaimed motion pictures of the decade, um, and it's- and the studio was was really nervous about giving it thirty million dollars. Spike Lee was like, "I want thirty million dollars to make this movie," and they were like, you "Give you like twenty seven. And I'm like, <laughs> what "The fuck!" And indeed, because they were worried that this movie, which wound up being well over three hours, not almost three and a half hours, this movie, big epic movie, mm. they're obviously worried about making their money back. You know, if it's three and a half hours, you can only fit in like three screenings a day, and that eats up the money you're making at the box office. So there, that's a that's an understandable concern for any investor to have. But it was an Oscar bait movie as well. It was. So that's that's you know, it came out at the end of the year. It was meant to be a big. I'm I'm not really sympathizing with the with the producers of the studio in this instance. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying their argument makes sense on paper. I can kind of see where they're coming from. Why? Yeah. Why Why they don't? A
1: producer might be. yeah reluctant to uh plan a
0: three-hour biopack and this is one of those movies that was basically guaranteed by uh by like a financial group and Mm. if spike lee went over budget they would get to take over the production (laughs) and he might end up losing control of the project which would be really really bad uh there was people there was apparently talk about like they'd say you need to bring this in under two and a half hours there's no way we can make it under two over two and a half hours and then eventually spike lee uh Decided we're just, we'll start making the movie, and when we go over budget, they can fucking deal with it. <laughs> and, and what happened actually was a lot of uh, celebrities of color actually came together and just gave the movie money, so that mm. the, those investors who were threatening to take over the project had nothing to stand on. Wh- Here's your which, money,
1: which led to this really bizarre thing uh, before, or during, and and for the rest of the, the you know the mm. next year, uh, this weird sort of. Fashionizing and fetishizing of Malcolm X swag, essentially. The letter X, the, yeah, the, the, was, the, a big, was a like everyone, big... Everyone the black ball cap hat with the yeah. gray uh, letter X on it yeah. was a really hot fashion item. Madonna was wearing that, mm-hmm. and uh, this was all this weird sort of way to make hip, this three-and-a-half-hour biopic, which is actually a very stern film mm-hmm. uh, about a, a, a very um, important uh topic of
0: uh, you know yeah. of, of American racism but I think it's exhilarating mm. but yeah it's not it's not an escapist fantasy it's not yeah, like a yeah. fun film but you know? yeah,
1: there was this weird uh weird need to make it sort of fun and uh in fact I, I think Babs and Buster Bunny were wearing Malcolm X hats in an episode <laughs> like that would attract me at all the, well because they were kind of making fun of the fact that all these mm. celebrities were wearing Malcolm X hats and uh it it's Spike Lee was trying to have a very honest conversation about civil rights in the United States. I'm watching this movie, and he's talking mm-hmm. about Malcolm X, not just as also, a person, but... I
0: just realized uh, Malcolm X is a Warner Brothers movie, so the fact that Baz and Buster had it on probably isn't a coincidence. No, not at all. Yeah. And, you know,
1: they wore Batman shirts as well. But
0: yeah,
1: um, but yeah uh, th- the film is you know try- trying to have this conversation about uh, race and politics and racism in the U.S. and how it con- you know, persists. It starts and ends with some, like modern-day footage and t- speaks to mm-hmm. Malcolm X's legacy and what he said and how important it is mm-hmm. and how, you know watching it in 2021, how much it still rings true today mm-hmm. and how yeah. important it still is today.
0: Spike Lee does and, that a uh, lot. Uh, that's how Black Klansman works as well. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's a historical picture, technically, mm-hmm. but he really wants to make sure you know that this is immediate. That's why it begins with the Rodney King footage because mm-hmm. that was really contemporary at the time. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, this is not something that happened in the past. This is still something relevant. Still going Everything on. Malcolm X said, still mm. relates to what's going on today.
1: And uh, I remember when it came out how many uh, audiences that is to say white audiences mm. were really uncomfortable mm. with how how like uh, you could read some old reviews of this at the time and how they're criticizing Spike Lee for being a little too confrontational about his messages or how he's repeating these messages of racism that aren't as big a problem anymore. And, you know, Spike Lee, like, that wasn't the actual language, but that's sort of like the subtext of what was going on. Yeah. And, you know, that plays into this big American myth that Spike Lee has been exploding and exploding Uh, and exploding throughout his career about how the civil rights movement just took care of everything. Yeah. And we're okay now. And racism just isn't a problem anymore. He started it with the Rodney King footage.
0: Yeah, the, to illustrate this that. Is, no, yeah. this is still. Uh, yeah.
1: to, to to illustrate anybody who might not know who Rodney King is. Oh my um, God, I didn't even
0: occur to uh, me.
1: Yeah, uh, in in the early nineties, wow. uh, a man named Rodney King was pulled from his car and beaten nearly to death. He wasn't killed, but beaten nearly to death by cops and. Uh, a witness, uh, yeah, a witness filmed it, and this was maybe one of the first, like, really kind of visible examples of this being captured uh, on film by the public.
0: Yeah, and not, uh, and not and like, and not like you know, just on the news, which hmm. where you would see like a lot of the the, the riots and the, and the the police attacking civil rights protesters in the sixties. But this is something that the cops would normally keep off to the side
1: yeah like it, yeah. it was this
0: it, wasn't like a statement being made huge, by the police department it was just it was
1: hugely every day
0: horrifying police corruption. this was
1: the first time we got like and in, in modern 90s audiences yeah. got to white audiences that is to say yeah got to see this and uh and all of a sudden uh the, the cops were put on trial yeah for, for beating rodney king for driving while well, doing nothing yeah uh, and and uh I mean, I, I think I think down, yeah. and even if he,
0: was, I think he was intoxicated, but that's no excuse. So it's what? No excuse. Yeah, it's yeah like, who gives you shit, You don't. He, he hit someone for that. You don't. Hurt it, it wasn't like for a
1: car chase where he's like firing a machine gun out the back. He wasn't yeah. doing. And anything. even if he
0: was, that's police brutality. Uh, yeah. You're supposed to fucking do that. Like, there's no excuse. Uh, so,
1: point. uh, yeah, the, the cops were put on trial. They got off, and yeah. there was a, a, a sweeping violent riot in Los Angeles in response to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, were you, were you yeah. in L.A. at
1: the time? I was. I, I was. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I live on the west side, uh, so I, I was far from the violence. Yeah. But, yeah, I was on the news 24-7. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of discussion about it. and I was, t- like, 12 years old, so there's just discussion yeah. about it in
0: school, what was really going on. Yeah, I was, uh...
1: And, uh... What I think? I think it was 10...
0: And yeah, and, it was, uh, yeah, and and I, it was not that far from where I lived, so we were just hunkered down and just like yeah, we're just not going to go outside. Th- this just gonna... was just
1: a few years after yeah.
0: NWA released their
1: single "Fuck the Police," uh, yeah. and you know this this animosity towards uh, the police department was at an all time high. Well, maybe not an all time high, no. but it was at a it was cresting. It had, it had, at that it had, it had reached the breaking point, point. Yeah. and um, yeah, and it had it reached the point where uh, just outrage had reached a level that there were riots and. Mm-hmm.
0: And by the way, uh, we're being we're being pretty perfunctory in how we're yeah, dealing with yeah, this yeah. because we're just going to give you a little bit of backstory. This is important American history, and please do a lot of research on this. We are not mm. historians; we don't have all the relevant context, or at least this, we don't have it out the top mo- of our heads.
1: Mo- mostly, this is anecdotal because we were there. But yeah, um, uh, you, the, this you know police brutality against the black community was mm. an enormous problem that was now on film. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, you watch a movie like Detroit, you see that it had been going on for
0: a long, long time. Yeah. Um, or you pay attention uh, to what people have been saying. Well, yeah. yeah, pay attention. The, yeah.
1: Um, my, my point is the, the cops were brutalizing the black community. I have always brutalized the black community because mm. you know, you look back to the origin of the police. That's what they did. They, they, they were slave patrols uh, back at the origin. And... Uh, they were always really keen to not have any of that get out into the white public's eye. So mm-hmm. it was considered sort of like an open secret it's, in the It's why, It's why Klansmen
0: wore sheets over their head. The idea yeah. is that you're supposed to be ashamed of this. Hmm. Yeah, you're not but, supposed to like be, want so, people um, to know, you know?
1: Spike Lee was rubbing that right in your face right from frame one. It's yeah. like, hey, guess what? White audiences, this is a problem. Mm. Yeah, it's op- going on today.
0: Yeah. And and it, and one well, of the things I love about Spike Lee and his work is, um, he's he's also like he's he loves film history and yeah. he will use every trick he's learned from every movie he's ever seen. And sometimes he'll play it straight, sometimes he'll subvert it. Um, and we're, we at the beginning of this movie, we're hearing Malcolm X's words and his uh, his incredibly eloquent hmm. arguments against. Uh, a white white supremacy, b- white yeah. supremacy, like the 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 absolutely horrible and unjust system uh, upon which pretty much every facet of American society is mm. built on some level or another, um, and it's an incredibly powerful speech. And then we see filling the frame the American flag, and it looks just like the movie Patton. Mm. That's he's he's evoking Patton. He's telling you this is we this is that level of grandeur is what I'm going for right here. And then you see the flag start to burn at the edges, mm. and then it burns inward, inward, inward. And the only thing it leaves behind in this tattered red, white, and blue is the X. Mm. <laughs> and it's what a fucking image! <laughs> what a genius image! Yeah. My God, um, uh, and. <sighs> To
1: to briefly compare this to a film like uh, Green Book, which um, <laughs> which Spike Lee very eloquently said, "It's not my cup of tea."
0: He said that uh, while speaking to British reporters. To British, it's like, like, one of my favorite Spike Lee clips ever because yeah. <laughs> he's so like, amused at his it's own like, joke. Like
1: he's like leans forward, he's like, "What did you think of Green Book? You're British, right? Yes, it's not my cup of tea." And then he just cracks himself up and it's he starts like, dancing
0: because yeah. he just won an Oscar for Black Klansman. And it's <laughs> so <damn>
1: funny. <laughs>
0: Green Book, Black Klansmen. Gee. Yeah. Nominated the same year.
1: (laughs) What a fucking travesty that was. Oh
0: my God.
1: Um, Green Book is a movie that likes to pretend that racism can be solved by friendship. Yeah. If we just get to know our, our brothers and sisters, then everything will be okay.
0: And listen, no one's saying that friendship is a bad thing mm-hmm. or that we shouldn't be friends and like try to learn from each other, but it goes so much fucking deeper than that. Mm. And it's so much more insidious and institutionalized that just having a couple of conversations mm-hmm. with someone in a car isn't going to fix yeah, the uh, problem.
1: I, I encourage you to find it if you can. Uh, Justin Chang wrote a beautiful piece in the LA Times right after Green Book's Oscar mm-hmm. win about just what an embarrassment that was. He wrote and, it, like, right afterwards, too. Like, like, he knew it was coming. Like, he, he was writing it, like, could, during the Oscar ceremony, yeah. I'm sure. Or, or at
0: the very least, it was, like, in his head, and I wouldn't doubt it was bat- It could have been one second, of those things like where he, they, they,
1: they write it ahead of time, I mean, and then they hit publish just in case it happens. I, what I they do that sur- with, like,
0: obituaries and what stuff. What I wouldn't be surprised, knowing, as, I, I I don't really know Justin Chang. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've met him, all, like, at a Zoom thing on... the. I'd laugh go once or twice, but he's he's I have nothing but respect for the man. It would not surprise me at all if he had had that thing one hundred percent written in his head, and as soon as it won, he just started <laughs> just pouring it on the page, an hour, yeah, and it was um, out there in an hour. Uh, it Would not surprise yeah, me at all.
1: It's really impressive, and uh, he pointed out rather uh, rather rightly that uh, Green Book is a film made made to placate a white audience. Yeah. That wants to entertain the fact that they themselves don't have to do anything about racism; mm-hmm. that it's taken care of. They're okay. Mm-hmm. It's like when you yeah. when you watch historical biopics about a racist time. There's always like one non-racist white character mm-hmm. that a, mo- a modern audience can pretend they would be if yeah. they were in in the historical situation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Spike Lee th- knows that's bullshit, and mm-hmm. he doesn't do any of that kind of nonsense in his movies. Yeah. He wants to confront the, the the systemic problem. Yeah. And I think that might be what a lot of the critics, white critics, at the time were kind of uncomfortable with. There's it wasn't something that was meant to relax them or placate them about history and racism, how things are okay now.
0: I, I have a lot of vivid memories of Malcolm. Hmm. I saw it when it came out. I saw it yeah. a couple of times. I liked it a lot. Um, but I was really young and you know, I wasn't picking up on every level. And when I watched it again, you know, there's a lot of big scenes that I remember very vividly, Hmm. a lot of big moments. There was one little scene that I didn't really remember. And for me, it was such a great moment.
1: Is this where he talks to the young students? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was exactly. Bring up the there's scene. A, there's a moment where Spike
0: Malcolm X, and we'll we need to talk about how this movie handles the sweep of Malcolm X's life because I think it does it brilliantly. Uh, I'm not normally a fan of movies that try to cram in every element of a person's life, but I think Just Malcolm do X does it better than most. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, he's already uh, it, by this point in the movie, he has already emerged as a prominent civil rights leader. Uh, but he's emerged as a much more confrontational uh uh individual than martin luther king for example mm. um and he's openly said we're n- we're not interested in like reaching out to white communities that's part of the problem and you know we need to actually focus on building up our own communities and there's a you know there's a woman a white woman who walks up to him after he gives a big speech and he says hey uh, Mr. X I'm 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 such a, 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 I'm such an admirer of yours I believe in everything you're saying and you're doing What can I uh, A person who isn't racist do to help mm. And all Malcolm X Just says there is nothing, nothing. And, he he just just, walks on. and he just walks away Doesn't engage in conversations like And that's the end of that because like, there's really nothing you can do. No. <laughs> a, you just said you're not a racist in a in a country with absolutely institutionalized racism. You clearly aren't really dealing with the real problem. B, what the fuck do you think you can do? Right, <laughs> you're not going to be able to do a goddamn thing. What, what can we, I'm inspired by you, Malcolm X, as a
1: young white student. What yeah. can I do? I, I wish you just said Jack shit. Like you yeah. can do nothing. Yeah. He just says nothing and he walks on. Yeah, that yeah. that was like one of my favorite moments in
0: this movie, which yeah. is loaded with. It's, them. And it's a little moment. It's not. It's not built up. It's not like a gorgeous. Mm. You know, Ernest Dickerson shot this, and he's an incredible director of photography, and there's incredible mm. imagery all throughout this movie. So, but it's actually like a pretty understated scene in a lot of yeah, ways. Well, it's just the dialogue is so potent.
1: What I. Something you love, and this is just a beautiful aesthetic choice. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, the camera moves more. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more color. There's a lot more uh, just sort of exciting filmmaking. It feels and more like it, a
0: musical in a lot yeah, of ways. And then, like, there's um, a gorgeous dance sequence, for it's example. Sort of like a, it's,
1: it's sort of like a three-piece drama. The first yeah. part is... Um, Malcolm X's early life. Uh, the, the, there's a little middle portion where he's in prison, uh, where he kind of has this big change, and then the second part, the second half, is uh, him as a civil rights leader.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but more than that, I think it's even the first half is mm-hmm. basically Malcolm X before uh, he converts to Islam yeah. and, and uh, so, starts and starts educating himself and becoming yeah, who he it would get, eventually it gets, be.
1: It gets more. The film itself matures as the character does. So fascinating. So, like yeah. the first.
0: Hour, mm. if you didn't know that was Malcolm X, like if the character's name had changed or something like that, it's a crime movie, and it's an excellent crime movie. And then he he goes to prison and he converts to Islam and his his mind starts ex- uh, opening to the incredible injustices of the world. And uh, then he's he becomes a civil rights leader. And then the last the last third of it is him realizing that there are actually more systemic problems within the nation of Islam that he was willing to admit. Yeah. And that's him having to come once again to a brand new revelation and become a brand new kind of person. There's a lot of movies that try to be epic. <laughs> you know, they try to have like big sweeping vistas and helicopter shots and giant battles. And sometimes they succeed. Sometimes they don't. But the thing that makes it's... a movie epic for me, mm. and the thing that I think is the the key is it really needs to feel like, the characters have been on such a long journey that it's not about them changing, it's about them changing multiple times. If yeah. you, and that's the thing that Malcolm X does. Malcolm X goes on a whole feature length film's worth of self discovery two or three no, at least three times in this movie, maybe four. Yeah. And as a result, you're not just watching a story. You feel like you're really getting the full sweep of a life because mm. life is a little bit more complicated than I learned a valuable lesson and then I had nothing left to tell. Right, and my, in the case of someone is like, over, yeah. and in the case of someone like Malcolm X, whose life was so gigantic in so many ways, mm. um, yeah, I think I think Spike Lee just finds this incredible way. To make you feel the grand sweep of it, while still being very intimate, because it's all about his personal journey. Mm. It's all about the way his mind works. Yeah. And in the first hour, and uh, he's he's. I mean, look, he's Ma-
1: Malcolm X uh, was assassinated at age thirty nine. Yeah, so this is a lot my of life. Age. Yeah, he's my
0: age. He's like, mm. he's, I think I'm old. I, he, I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> he he's he had so much did yeah. so much life left. It's um, so sad. In in the movie.
1: Malcolm X is played by Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Denzel Washington is one of the best actors of his generation. Yes. Full stop. Uh, I love Denzel. I love when he does uh, serious epic dramas. I love when he mm-hmm. does stupid comedies. He's great in Malcolm X. He's great in Heart Condition. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen Heart Condition. <laughs> We're, Did I see Heart Condition? The, the, is it the, good? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, he plays a ghost in Heart Condition. A ghost cop. Who has to nice. help his, he's dead and he has to help his grizzled old partner, played by Bob Hoskins, nice. solve a crime from beyond the grave.
0: I thought it was Dabney Coleman in that one. I'm thinking, is there a similar thing with Dabney Coleman? Oh, I'm sure there is. Okay. Heart
1: condition was, was definitely uh, Bob Hoskins. Oh, I believe
0: you. I'm just, uh, my, my brain must have conflated it with yeah. some similar Dabney Coleman thing.
1: Yeah, I, I. I love Denzel Washington in Fences. I love him Mm. in
0: Virtuosity. There's Virtuosity, where he plays a cyborg cop hunting down Mm. a virtual reality serial killer Mm. played by a young and incredibly svelte Russell Crowe, like dancer's Uh, bod at the uh, time. Russell Crowe had never been sexier than he is in Virtuosity. That is that, and Quick and the Dead. Those are the two. Oh my God, he is just just gonna lick the screen like Oh my God, but um yeah virtuosity is an incredibly silly movie i
1: love
0: it i love it i love it's it it's such it, a stupid it's, 90s it's, movie I it, love it is it.
1: really dumb god briefly virtuosity is about a <laughs> cyber cop <laughs> Right. i'm glad we're doing this. uh who is training he he's gone to prison And in prison, he is subjected to uh, virtual reality experiments where he has to fight a super criminal in virtual reality. Yeah. The virtual reality computer super criminal is an artificial intelligence called SID 6.7, who is a compilation of every serial killer we have ever encountered compiled into digital form and then, like, mashed together. Yeah. He he ends up using, like, a cyborg-making machine to escape into the real world. (laughs) Can't even get <laughs> through with a straight face to get out of prison and chase him down. It's so great. It's the stupidest shit, it's and so I love it. Um,
0: the, the important the, the the message of the story is that Denzel Washington is generally speaking great in everything. He is great. I can't everything. think of a he, single movie I've ever seen where I thought to myself, Denzel Washington is off his game.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah. The,
0: maybe he's not in a good movie every once in a while, but I've never oh, seen yeah, one not, where he was off his game.
1: Not all his movies are good, but yeah, he's yeah. All, he's always there for it. Yeah, and uh, it, it's. It's a relief to see Malcolm X uh because it's Denzel Washington in a role that he, he knows he can bring his A game to.
0: And he played Malcolm X uh in the theater uh mm-hmm. in the early 80s, so he had already like, you know, sort of worked on the I mean, character cool and was Denzel at this point I think he was in his mid 30s. He yeah. wasn't he wasn't quite Malcolm X's age, but he was getting there. Um Denzel was born in 54. Yeah, so by, okay, so, it was 54. So yeah, it was, it was late, late like, 30, yeah, 37, it was like 30, 37, 38, depending on when this. they filmed it. But yeah, um, he, he has to play this person throughout their entire life. He can't just be insular. He has to understand the full scope of what Malcolm X could be and what he was capable of and how he would change over time. And it's one of those fascinating characters. I mean, he's a person, but, you know, in the film. So as, an, when you, as, as an actor When, when you first meet Malcolm yeah. X In Malcolm X You would never think Here's what he would become hmm. Because he's He's just a dude He's just a guy He's you know he's he's uh, you know getting his hair done so we can go out dancing. He's wearing a fabulous zoot suit. He's these... just sleeping around with anyone he can. He gets he starts getting involved in like little low level crimes, working with Delroy Lindo, mm-hmm. uh, and then he starts developing a cocaine habit, and then he starts breaking into people's houses, and then after about an hour of this story of this this clearly bright intelligent person who just. He has a downward slide Mm. He ends up in prison And It seems like that's kind of that That's going to be his story And then he meets someone who opens his mind Mm. And makes him actually Think about and question everything He's been told There's a great bit where uh, uh, He's told that Jesus was a black man Mm. And Malcolm X can't process that And he means Everyone knows Jesus is white mm. And he's like Who told you that? Was it a white guy? Yeah <laughs> Was it Was it Churches run by White people? You ever actually Read the Bible? Or you ever actually mm. like And there's this Wonderful bit I remember this Even oh. when I was young And it blew my mind um, oh, Where, where cr- they read Christopher the... Plummer right? Well Christopher Plummer Plays the priest And there's this great bit Where he confronts Christopher Plummer Using mm. actual text From the Bible mm. That supports That Jesus was not white yeah, uh, but no. The bit I was thinking of is he's like you're you're you've got so he has to like break down everything Malcolm X has ever learned mm. in order to build him up again. Yeah, to someone who is actually thinking about the world and their place in it. And the, we you you you're so far like entrenched in the institutions that were invented by white mm. people that we need to go all the way back to the beginning and we're gonna go look at the dictionary. Mm-hmm. And I want you to read the definitions of the word black uh-huh. and the definitions of the word white. And what what the, the associate racism associate with those words. The racism yeah. is so ingrained that the dictionary hmm. supports the racism. Because and everything about blackness in the dictionary is that, untrustworthy, uh, yeah. St- malevolent, stained, poisoned, tainted, yeah, yeah, dirty, yeah, yeah. and, and be, everything about whiteness is innocence, in, innocence purity, purity. Yeah, um, and it, and and Spike Lee just like zooms into the page mm. and like scans the page with you. It's like like you're looking at a big dictionary trying to find a definition, and it's so powerful just to see just like. That's the thing that's so hard to do with a film like Malcolm X is you have to make sure that you dramatize in a way that is exciting and mm. you know eye-opening to the audience um philosophy mm. his ethos what he would come to believe multiple times yeah because he'll he'll change his mind a few times in his life uh and you have to follow along and you have to become convinced when he does mm. And you had to see how he became convinced the, of a new way of thinking. Yeah. And Spike Lee knows how to do that. Spike Lee is one of the most impressive didactic filmmakers we've ever had. <laughs> he can convey a point hmm. better than I think any other filmmaker who's working today. Well, he's uh, he... like a point in a point that is clear, but is also entertaining and is also exciting to watch. He, he's
1: not he's not capable of and not interested in making any kind of compromises. He's not trying to subtly hand it to you. And in fact, uh, some people have said that that is, uh, that's actually kind of a white supremacist way of thinking this kind of gentle way of giving Mm -hmm. uh, an audience a message uh, rather Mm -hmm. than confronting them and saying something directly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. People want like people want some people want their messages to be conveyed so subtly that they can ignore them.
1: Yeah, yeah, And if you can ignore
0: them then then, then they, they don't have power, do they? Exactly. If, if we don't we don't want messages that challenge us to have power. Mm-hmm. That is not a healthy way to live. No, and it's it's not a healthy way to make art
1: because art in many ways ought to confront. And uh, I I uh, I got to interview Spike Lee once mm-hmm. and uh, and it was very um You told this
0: story before, but it's yes, potent. it's, it's, it's an
1: intimidating uh, intimidating experience yeah. <laughs> uh, talking to Spike Lee and uh, this was when his film Chirac came out and Chirac is also excellent. And, uh, uh, I, I just said, you know, my first question was, uh, I, I wanted to ask him just sort of why, why so few filmmakers are as direct as he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, you know, you, your, your, films tend to be kind of, well, the word I want to use is direct. And he just sort of like laid back in his seat and laughed and said, yeah, we don't pussyfoot around. Mm-hmm. It's like, no. And why doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> <laughs> I why, why, why do we need to to package everything so it's palatable? Yeah. When having uh, we get so much more flavor and excitement and change and challenge when we're confronted.
0: Yeah, there's a fun. It's funny you mentioned that uh, story. You, you've interviewed Spike Lee. I've, yeah. I've interviewed Spike Lee, and it was more of a roundtable setting, it wasn't a one-on-one. Oh, yeah. But um, there was a bit of a controversy when Malcolm X came out. It shouldn't have been, but Mm. it was. Um, Where where, uh, uh, Spike Lee said, I only want to speak to people about Malcolm X. I I only want to speak to black critics or Mm -hmm. black journalists. Yeah. And there were a lot of people like, well, isn't that racist? And Spike Lee was like, no, because I think this is a movie that is very much about the black experience. And I think if I have to filter that through Mm. someone who isn't personally connected to that, someone who can't necessarily tell that story from a place of understanding then that's a problem and what i thought was interesting was some people said no no mm-hmm. we won't we won't like tell you let you dictate who will interview you mm-hmm. we just won't do it some people did and um Premier magazine which was it's a magazine you and i both grew up with and it was a very good magazine for the most part uh, really good balance of like you know sort of Hollywood stuff, but like real thoughtful critical analysis. William Goldman had a regular column in it mm. that was really eye opening to me. But uh, Premiere Magazine actually they they actually took that what Spike Lee said mm. and they made him and it made them they said that made us realize that should not have been an issue. No, it no. should not have been difficult for any publication. To assign to what, their person, of, people of what, color, to do these kinds of one, assignments, one of
1: their journalists of color, and, and they what realize, it boils down oh, wait a minute—we don't.
0: They didn't have them, mm-hmm. and like there's that. That was, and it made them realize there is a systemic issue here that we have been ignorant to, mm. and we have not been addressing, or we haven't been willing to confront, or or any myriad bad reasons, mm. and we need to change. And they they that spurred them to change. Yeah, good. Yeah. good confrontation works yes um but in any case um so spike lee uh uh builds for a whole hour Mm. malcolm x before he even like converts to islam and starts thinking about social issues and And, and, uh and it's just a it's a thrilling almost
1: almost scorsese like crime drama in terms of its its energy and its focus on the uh the the functions of the underworld
0: yeah uh, in harlem at the time yeah uh, that dance number in mm-hmm. like the first five ten minutes mm-hmm. is like as good as any dance number yeah, and, like it's great
1: and it, it establishes uh malcolm x as you know a, he's a, a ne'er-do-well he's a cad mm-hmm. yeah he sleeps around he sleeps around, around. Yeah, he, yeah. Sleeps around. he, he do- yeah. doesn't think anything of uh just beating a guy up in a bar yeah uh we get a few uh Brief flashbacks and voiceovers explaining like uh his home life growing up none mm. of that's really dramatized uh it's mostly uh, well, a little bit a, a little
0: bit yeah um, mostly about how his father was a mm. preacher who was murdered mm. and uh, uh, how his by clansmen yeah and how uh his his mother was mm. left in a horrible lurch And because because that was covered up mm. uh, she wasn't able to get life insurance because they said it oh he it was he he, he killed himself so he can't give any life insurance really. He beat himself in the back of the head to death. Yeah. Yeah. And then threw himself in front of a train. That's that's what is officially you're saying life insurance. And life insurance is like, Well, we're white and evil. And um Yeah. What do you want? We're white and we're evil. Pretty much. And that's kind of it. There's this there's this great bit where in prison in where um Oh, who's, who's, what's the, what's the name of the, the person who uh, helps him convert to Islam? Oh, the, uh, his, uh... the,
1: the, Islam preacher in the prison. Yeah. Um, oh, I forgot the character's name. Yeah. Oh, Baines
0: is the character's name. Yeah, uh, He's Baines. played
1: by, uh, b- 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 Albert Hall is the actor's name.
0: Yeah. He basically just says, can you think of one good white person you've ever known? Hmm. One. One person who didn't have an angle. One person who didn't screw you over. One person who didn't try to keep you down. And we see every white character we've seen in the movie so far. Like
1: flash very quickly Every single
0: yeah. one Small, big, doesn't matter Every single white character We realize that Every single white character Even if people said Oh, th- that guy's one of Quote, the good ones Every single white character You realize, no mm. <laughs> it's, it's no there, there aren't any And so Yes, we, we see this Incredible evolution And then we actually Skim quite a bit Of his actual prison time After he comes to These realizations mm. And when he emerges From prison He starts preaching and he starts getting more and more eloquent and he starts making more and more of a difference. And he starts there's this incredible bit where uh and, and, and I'm sure it was more complicated than this, but uh someone in their in their church has been uh apprehended and beaten up by the cops for no reason. Mm. And everyone goes to Malcolm X and says, What are we gonna do about? It? You talk a big game. You you say all of these things about how we're going to make a difference. You going to actually do something about this? Gonna, you going to? Are you going to do that? And Malcolm X takes a moment and says, "Hell yes, I am." <laughs> and there's this incredible bit where he marches right into the police station, and they're just and they're of course they're they're, they're giving him the brush off. They're assholes. Hmm. And then he just says, "Look out the window," and you just see that there is like a small army outside the window, just standing there. Mm. Not doing anything illegal, just standing there, cheering, to speak. they they want to see this person. Mm. <laughs> it ends up with them like taking the guy, they're finally allowed to see the guy, the guy has to go to the hospital, he wouldn't have otherwise, probably would have died in prison, knocking takes to the hospital, everyone marches to the hospital, mm. and there's this great bit where um, Peter Boyle shows up, like That's the right. captain he's, of the police.
1: like getting in, like, one scene, Peter yeah. Boyle shows up. He
0: shows up and he's just like, okay, we took him to the we took him to the, to the hospital He's mm-hmm. gonna be okay now Are we gonna disperse? And Malcolm X takes like a long minute mm-hmm. And then he just Twitches his hand a little <laughs> And everyone just <laughs> does an about face yeah. And it's just like Oh shit This guy has mm-hmm. gotten good yeah, this yeah. guy has become like, a true leader. Yeah, and right. it's, uh, well, it, it's it's almost like he's a superhero all of a sudden. Like it's it, he treats it with like this kind of mm. like gigantic heroism. Mm. Then it's and it's and it's okay that it's broad and that it's well, because they... and it's big because it was well and that was the... but also because it's that's how it feels. That was the message of Malcolm X: Let's give black
1: people power. Yeah. Black people have been powerless in America and yeah. mistreated constantly by this system. And uh, he speaks again and again very eloquently to the issue of uh, how white people being in charge has kept black people mm-hmm. oppressed, like, uh, deliberately op- oppressed for yeah. s- 400 years. Yeah. And Malcolm X says, how about we have blacks with power? Yeah. That, those those were the words he used. And um, he... Uh, not direct quote. And um, he... Uh, th- the movie puts the power in, in his hands and shows that he is mm. a powerful person. And not in a cartoony kind of way. Not trying to overblow it. Trying to say, this is what it looks like. And mm. it's good. And it's exciting. And we should watch, we should see this more. Yeah. And it, it's actually kind of striking how little we see that. Yeah. Uh, not just in movies, but in real life. Yeah. And uh, and I think we see of, it
0: more in real life than, than most... Than I think you, you have to like... Hmm. It's not as hard to see, I think, in real life. I think you, yeah. you know where to look, but uh, in movies, certainly, yeah, very underrepresented. And, but um, I want to make sure we, we we clarify just for the elephant in the room here. Whitney and I are both white, indeed. We are quite a um, bit.
1: My, uh, my mother did one of those twenty three and Me or those like uh, mm-hmm. trace your origins, spit in a cup sort of thing. Yeah. I am forty three percent German. Wow! I'm about forty three percent English, and the rest is still Western Europe.
0: Wow! Uh, I'm, 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 That's impressive. Yeah, I'm. I'm,
1: I'm I mean, not in a
0: good way or anything. Just like <laughs> it's just like, what are the odds? I'm
1: about as white as they. Yeah, come. like
0: it's just like, wow, what are the odds of that? Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, I'm not. I don't have the figures in front of me, but we did our family tree once, and I'm, I'm from everywhere. Um, mm. But uh, so, listen, we're we're not coming from this from. You know that place of intimate understanding. We are responding to the power of the movie and based mm-hmm. on what we know of history. But again, please seek out other critics. There's we are mm-hmm. not the only people who've talked but about Malcolm X. Yeah. We want to make sure that people mm-hmm. can know that they can talk about this movie and see this movie well, and understand this movie. You know, we, regardless of what your background is, because we, it should appeal to everybody. But well, uh, yes, well, we we, we, are, are, we are limited.
1: We are that white student. We are
0: we are. Well, well, we're not prejudiced what can we do yeah nothing but we can't also but we also the last thing we'd want to do is ignore black cinema obviously so mm. like this just so we're talking about Malcolm X right now but again we're not pretending that we are the end all be all of this conversation we're we're the bottom of this conversation, please mm. seek out others. I'm, as
1: I'm well. happy to see it, and I do yeah. love Spike Lee a lot. And I yeah. love how how forthright he is in his yeah. films, and I love all of the. I haven't seen all of his films yet.
0: No, not I. No. He's very um, prolific. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but I've seen a lot of his films, yep. like over half of them, and I, I like the ones I've seen. Um, yeah, some aren't so great. Not all <laughs> of them are, are classics, but. Uh, he is always a very uh, bold and energetic filmmaker, and Michael yeah. Malcolm X, he is clearly tackling something that he is very passionate about, thinks is very important, and is worth uh, expanding into something that I think everyone ought to see.
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, over the course of Malcolm X, he, he meets, falls in love with, and uh, uh, marries... Uh, the woman who became his wife, played, of course, by Angela Bassett. And it's at that point that I think the movie actually does a really exciting turn. Because until we started talking about the treatment of women Hmm. in his church, his church is treated as the solution to all problems. Hmm. Because to him it was. But once we start talking about it and we actually see uh, him... um, uh, he's he's uh he's speaking to uh, Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the nation of Islam, about women. And once you actually hear what Elijah Muhammad's saying about women, about how you know, we're gonna keep them down. You know? Don't don't marry anyone who's too old. It's okay to marry someone so long as they like they like kids and like wear housework and, and yeah like and that, that th- kind of thing, you know. The,
1: they are they are there to serve you the male. Like yeah. that,
0: that was the message he was giving. And he's and he without going on a major speech about it, you know, you notice that Spike Lee is taking the time to Mm -hmm. highlight a now, a very important moment, this aspect, because we're going to start seeing Malcolm X start turning away. Maybe not in that regard, but we're going to start seeing him acknowledge that there are differences in his own personal ethos and the ethos of the nation of Islam. And, Eventually, Elijah Muhammad will be involved in sex scandals and he struggles to deal with how am I supposed to hold us up as moral arbiters, as moral paragons, Mm. if you're letting us down. There's an interesting moment where uh, the FBI is, of course, listening to every single one of Malcolm X's phone calls. And um, there's a bit where he's having, uh, he's traveling and he's on the phone with his wife. And they're speaking about, you know, work and... Um, you know Social ills And how they love each other And can't wait to see each other again And you just hear Two guys Just on Like Got, got headphones on mm. And one guy Is just like god, This Compared to Martin Luther King This guy is a monk
1: Yeah Like this guy is like so He's actually he's so, just so So honest so, and clean yeah, yeah Just he's
0: so clean Like oh my god Because Martin Luther King Had his own sexual Infidelities mm. um, But uh, Yeah So he ends up moving away from the nation of Islam, which starts, like, becoming concerned about his charisma Mm. and real and worrying that people will start following him Mm. and not the people he works for and that he openly says are more important than him. It's not actually what he was trying to do. Um, And this would lead to, uh, ultimately, his assassination after he goes on a pilgrimage to Mecca. They filmed at Mecca! Mm Mm-hmm. No you don't nobody you don't do that. <laughs> no one's supposed to go there even mm. unless you're of the faith like and it's incre- it's incredible mm. to see. Um like wow. Like but uh he has a new religious experience and he starts realizing that you know there is more to life and there's more to religion and there's more ways to reach people than the Extreme confrontational uh, attitude he had when he was a little younger, mm-hmm. and the more he moves away and the more he develops as an individual, the more dangerous he is to the people he used to represent, and it leads to a really harrowing, horrifying assassination, mm-hmm. um, which is filmed like an, in, with
1: so much violence. Oh yeah. like, uh, they don't. They don't. It's not like in Spielberg's Lincoln where he just sort of walks off camera and is like, I'm off to the no. play, bye. It's, no, it actually, yeah.
0: you, you mentioned that it feels like a Scorsese joint. And I was reminded about how Goodfellas is another movie that feels truly epic mm-hmm. because you follow the characters through so many different uh, phases in their lives. And, you know, you follow this, this kid, Henry Hill, from when he's like a young teenager- to when he's in his, what, I don't know, his late 40s or whatever. I forget how old he was when he ended up going to witness protection. but I think he was much
1: younger than that. Well, when he, was, he, yeah.
0: he's, he's been on drugs for a while. He's hard living. But the point is this. We've been following this story in such broad swaths for hmm. so long that the last act of the movie takes place over the course of an afternoon uh-huh. gives it this <laughs> incredible, crackling, suspenseful energy. Because you know, this is the day all of his fantasies about being a mafioso, all of his dreams mm-hmm. about being above the law, they're
1: all falling apart. They're all going to yeah. fall
0: apart today. So when this movie starts slowing down, and all of a sudden we're spending a lot of time with Malcolm X about to give a speech that doesn't even seem like a particularly important speech.
1: But it's being tinkered with. Like yeah, it's just a, like a bad lot of day in general. A Things lot of kind details. Of apart, yeah, yeah,
0: people are people aren't coming, or there was supposed to be an opening speaker or whatever. And he realize that we're spending a lot of time on this speech that doesn't really seem important to the plot. Mm. And if you know what's coming, you know what's coming. And if you don't know what's coming, it gets really tense. Because if you know what's coming, you know it gets really tense because you mm. know he's about to be be murdered. But uh, if you don't, you can pick up on it anyway. Because the whole pacing of the film has shifted. Yeah. And, God, that's a great story to <laughs> Uh When when the 90s ended, Roger Ebert and Martin Scorsese got together. Siskel and Ebert had passed away about two years uh, prior. Gene Siskel. That's what you, I said. You said Siskel and Ebert. I apologize.
1: Yeah, Ebert was still
0: alive. Yes. Roger Gene, Ebert. Gene
1: Siskel passed away in, I think, late 99, early two. Wasn't uh, no, no, yet. no, it was, it
0: was, it was, no, no, he was, he was definitely, he died before. um I think Babe Pick in the City was his last, like number one movie of the year. I think it was like. Oh, was it? Was that yeah. early? Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember very distinctly that he had asked Roger Ebert to take his hmm. son to see Star Wars because yeah. he because he wouldn't live to see the Phantom Menace. Uh, he
1: died in February of ninety nine.
0: Okay, so yeah. right there on the edge. Uh. The decade ended and Roger Ebert and Martin Scorsese did a TV special where they talked about the best films of the decade.
1: Hmm.
0: Gene Siskel wasn't there. I, in I, re- I remember that episode. Only two movies made both of their lists. Fargo. Mm-hmm. Good film. Okay. And Malcolm X. Okay. That's a damn good list. <laughs> That's a damn, damn good list. And um a-
1: E- Ebert put Goodfellas on his list, and Martin Scorsese said, he yell at was you. a little embarrassed." Oh, yeah. Hold
0: on, I can, I can give you the list. Actually, I got it right here. Oh, um, you looked I, it up. I, right. I got it here. I want to make, I wanted to confirm I was right. Um, so here were here were Roger Ebert's list of the best films of the decade. Uh, his number ten was JFK. Okay. His number nine was Malcolm X. Good double feature, if you ask me. Mm. Uh, Leaving Las Vegas was his number eight. Oh, my Okay. Uh, actually, I think it might have been three. Breaking the Waves, Lars von Trier film. Mm-hmm. Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Number five. Bit of a cheat, The Three Colors Trilogy, all three films.
1: They're all in the 90s.
0: Yep. His number four was Fargo. His number three was Goodfellas. Okay. His number two was Pulp Fiction, which is an interesting thing to say with Martin Scorsese running funny. (laughs) And his number one was Hoop Dreams. Right. He loved that movie. Hmm. Uh, Martin Scorsese's pick. Number 10 was a tie, and I'm trying to remember if he just couldn't decide between, if he just couldn't cram... If there, if there was a reason they were tied, or if it's just because he liked these two movies a lot and he couldn't break... It would break his heart to leave one off the list. Uh-huh. But his number 10 was a tie between Malcolm X and Michael Mann's Heat.
1: Oh, curious.
0: Yeah, I think, I think he those just... Are not I think similar he, movies, but... I yeah. think he just couldn't bear himself to leave one of them off the I th- list. I think, um, he, yeah, he wanted to yeah. just
1: sort of expand it to 11. Yeah, his number bit.
0: 9 was Fargo. All right. Uh, his number 8 was David Cronenberg's Crash...
1: Oh, good for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, his number seven was Bottle Rocket, which is an interesting choice. Hmm. Uh, his number six was Breaking the Wave. So that was the other one that was... Uh, an Breaking lives. the Wave. Wow. An Breaking odd, the Wave. An odd one to double up on. Yeah, Breaking yeah. the Wave's Fargo and Malcolm X. I was mm. wrong about that. It's right. three. Uh, number five was Bad Lieutenant uh, with okay. Harvey Keitel, not the Nichols mm. Cage one that would come later. Uh, his number four was Eyes Wide Shut. His so number three good is night. a film that I'm actually kind of hazy about, A Borrowed Life.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: His number two was The Thin Red Line.
1: Uh, Mike, Mike, uh, Terrence
0: Malick film. Yep, and uh, his number one was a film that was called No. <laughs> that, that would have been amazing. Right. What a flex, right? That's uh, number... film in the '90s, the one I made. His number one was a Chinese film called The Horse Thief, which technically came out in 1986, but didn't come out in America until the '90s. And Scorsese was like, "Fuck it, it counts." <laughs>
1: you know what that, that sure why not, why not? If, if something comes out in uh, another country like in one year and then it hits the United States the next year it's up for all the American awards the yeah. year it came out of the United States I remember there's some uh, controversy in the year 2005 when um uh, uh Jean-Pierre Melville's film Army of Shadows right. was released in theaters yeah. in, in the United States for the first time mm-hmm. and uh but that movie was made in 1966, yeah. so it started making all these critics' best of the year list in 2005, and it was just hey, yeah. wait a minute, well, that's I, an older movie. Like, well, well, at I least can... that
0: one got released. When, uh, when The Other Side of the Wind came out, I think it made both of our lists of the best films of the year, didn't I it? it?
1: I think it did. Because yeah. that was a movie
0: that was shot in the 70s, but it wasn't ended up finishing, released, uh, finishing, editing. It wasn't finished. They, they finished <laughs> it in, in uh, 2018, eighteen nineteen? Somewhere around there 2019 yeah. It yeah. was 2019 And um, yeah. Yeah, they
1: finished it in 2019 It counted Yeah I was Dismayed And kind of mm. Staggered By how Little it was talked about Yeah it's Like this big important movie It's
0: an excellent I, piece of work It just came And more people talked about The documentary Because the documentary yeah. Netflix pushed the documentary For Academy Awards consideration uh, I'm sorry Push Orson Welles For Best Director Oh my god What an incredible story Would that have been My god mm. Anyway, great motion picture. Please see it. But um, at the time, it was only nominated for two Academy Awards. And this this was that
1: Green Book thing I was alluding to earlier. Yeah. Um, it was up for Best Actor. Denzel Washington got nominated. Yeah. And costumes. I Admittedly, mean, great costumes. Great costumes. That's it, fine. It uh, lost
0: both Academy Awards. It lost costumes to Bram Stoker's Dracula, which frankly I can see. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, the, the that's Dracula, a wild movie. The, movie, yeah. the costumes of that movie are incredible. I, I can't complain too much but about that, that. That
1: weird sinewy bat suit of armor, oh, I think, God, it was that's the, so the thing cool. that won them the Oscar. Yeah, but
0: I, I, if Malcolm X would want to be totally happy, but if it had to lose, that's the one to lose, mm. to. Uh, and Denzel Washington lost Best Actor to Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. Now, Al Pacino is a great actor. Mm. Al Pacino has never won an Academy Award before or since Scent of a Woman. But Scent of a Woman is not the film to give him an <laughs> Academy Award for. Scent of a Woman... Is schmaltzy as fuck.
1: Oh yeah, that, that's a Martin Brest film, yeah. right? Yeah, and um, uh, <sighs> it's it's about an old old blind man who feels like his life is over, and the the young hothead who's in trouble with his school who has to take him out on the town and yeah. make him take, feel alive again. Let him go
0: tangoing, and yeah. Yeah. Um, they were up against Robert Downey Jr. and Chaplin. Good performance. Mm. Uh, Stephen Rea for uh, The Crying, Crying Game. Game yeah. Good performance. And Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven, which may be a career best performance for Clint Eastwood. He was really good in that movie. I don't know. That one where he acts opposite the, the orangutan is pretty good. That's pretty good. I really believe that there was an orangutan in the scene. I didn't realize CGI had progressed so far. <laughs> uh, he also played the orangutan. It was like spe- <sighs> special split screen. Uh, but Denzel Denzel Washington should have won that fucking award And this should have been nominated I'm sorry, this should have been nominated been for Best Picture yeah. Best Director, at least Best Supporting Actress and Screenplay, all the Screenplay, that, cinematography, yeah. editing, score Like, this should have been... It should have been one of those big runaway, yeah. like 12 nominations kind of prestige. Because pictures. it's that big, hmm. and everyone brought their game. No mm. no one half assed this movie. Everyone is giving whether it's a small role, like a one line role, yeah. or a big giant role, everyone's giving an incredible career best performance. The material is nuanced while still somehow managing to give you the broad scope of the tale. Yeah, well, it's just one of the. I think it's one of the. There aren't a lot of American biopics that I would say belong on this level. Like there aren't Yeah, a lot. This, this, is, this, is, this is one of is the great. One of the greats.
1: It's a great biopic. It's a great uh, story about social issues, it's a great religious film. Yeah. Uh, it's and yeah, just has great performances across the board. Even Spike Lee, uh, yeah. who's in it. He play he plays Shorty, this uh, friend of Michael Mex's when he was young, and mm. even he's great. Yeah. Um Spike Lee's an underrated actor, I think. This was up uh, this was the year of Stuffy British dramas. A lot of oh, yeah. flood, um or courtroom dramas. Howard's yeah. End was this year. Mm. Uh The Crying Game was this year. Scent of a well, Woman. the Crying
0: Game is not stuffy.
1: Well no, you yeah, but, but is... it is but it's an Irish film. It um, is an
0: Irish film. Husbands and Well, that was that was a uh, Woody Allen. Yeah,
1: Lorenzo's yeah. Oil came Enchanted out that April. year. Enchanted April. Yeah. Enchanted April came out that year. Yeah. Uh and you know, none of these are bad films. I'm yeah. not knocking these. You know, husbands and wives.
0: Yeah. River um, Runs Through It.
1: These are all very like halcyon gentle nostalgic films for the most part even yeah. unforgiven
0: mm-hmm.
1: with all of its violence could be called as sort of this nostal nostalgia film
0: yeah it's 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 a it's a revisionist Western mm. and it's very very harsh but it is steeped in this sort of cinematic yeah. past and I think Malcolm X has you know its influences from its cinematic past but it feels so vibrant and Mm -hmm. contemporary
1: something about what what was going on oh I'm looking at the nominees for best foreign language film uh, that year and there was a a film I've never heard of called Shtonk with an exclamation point point. Mm S-C-H-T-O-N-K is a German film
0: yeah Uh, Uh, but uh,
1: yeah this was I don't know what was going on in the early 1990s that we were leaning so heavily into these sort of like storybook versions of the past but that's kind of where the academy was at Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, uh, Malcolm X just didn't fit into there. Well, there were, in, but there, but there the were some
0: of... weird contemporary things in there. What, Basic the f- Instinct also got two Oscar nominations. It was nominated for Best Editing uh-huh. and Best Original Score, and Malcolm X wasn't wasn't up for those. Basic Instinct, like, the, the, is not other... that good. It's it's
1: I mean it's fun for a uh, like a Hollywood pot boy. Oh, it's an airplane but, uh, yeah.
0: novel, and I don't yeah. and I don't use that to derive as derogatory way. Of sex, but like
1: very slick sex and violence. And if, but know, like it's if weird like that it got those two Oscar nominations.
0: Yeah, There's a weird Oscar nominations to get the basic against.
1: It's also an enormous hit. Uh, True. Yeah, the the weird ones that came out that year were uh, Dracula. Mm. And and the player is sort of like a new neo like Robert Altman's neo noir. Yeah, that's a very but that's yeah. a very
0: vicious motion mm. picture to get some Oscar nominations. Agreed.
1: But yeah, there are a yeah. lot of biopics that year because this was also Chaplin. Mm. Uh, this was also the year of Hoffa, uh, which, oh, yeah, from what I understand, Hoffa, yeah. was I haven't seen Hoffa, but I know it was uh, pretty mm. critically panned when it came out. Mm. Uh, and yeah, in, into sort of the. The bottom end, I guess, of this Academy mix was one of the great biopics of all time. Yeah. And I think the Academy just didn't want to be confronted in the way Spike Lee uh, made a career out of. They still don't. Uh, Spike Lee is making great films all the time, and he is routinely ignored by the Academy. And I think a big contributing factor is, A, he's a New Yorker, not an L.A. guy. Mm. He, he tends to make movies that take place. I mean, Martin in Scorsese
0: got snubbed for, by the Academy Awards yeah. for decades mm. until The Departed of all things, which, which is doesn't a good, take place in New York. It's yeah. a Boston film, which, and The Departed is a good movie. But that's the one that won Best Picture. Yeah, that's why, weird. Why The Departed? Why, you know, why not? Competition was slower that year, I yeah, guess. I guess so. yeah. or,
1: you know, I, I would say yeah, Wolf of Wall Street
0: and Silence and other films since then are even better. But uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, and you know, of course, there's many classics mm. before, but. Um, that's super fucking weird Um, Yeah, Spike Lee does finally have an Academy Award He won an Academy Award for screenplay uh, For Black Klansman mm. Richly deserved, I love that movie um, Black Klansman is so good <laughs> Damn good movie Um, But I, I feel like when we look back At his career, you know the, the films that will probably tower above the others Are at this point, do the right thing In Malcolm X, mm-hmm. and with good cause uh, Malcolm X is currently available on HBO Max uh, It's not hard to find uh, yeah. If you don't have HBO Max, but uh, if you've never seen it, please see this movie. This movie's so good. It's, it's so good. This movie's <laughs> such an incredible... It's such an incredible, like, forceful, like a, electric piece of filmmaking. There's uh, a, oh.
1: I, uh, I noticed this um, as, mm. as a projectionist at the New Beverly Cinema. You know, I get to see all these repertory screenings, yeah. and we get a lot of... So I'm getting a good cross-section of... Film trends like condensed Mm -hmm. because I'm seeing older films and newer films and just sort of all mixed together because it's a a widely eclectic programming at that theater. And there was something that happened like around 1985 or 1986 Mm. where photography got fucking phenomenal all of a sudden yeah like all all, like a bunch of uh, cinematographers like it wasn't just like one pushing it forward Mm. like they just all decided to follow this trend of just shooting the hell out of everything yeah uh you know i maybe the tipping point was the film the mission but you know you even look at like garbage films like that uh, tarzan film with christopher lambert if you even remember that one Mm. I was like the Legend of Greystoke: colon, Tarzan and the Apes. Another colon. Mm. It's like, just a really long title.
0: Yeah, uh, that movie has an Academy Award nomination for a dog. <laughs> Robert Town wasn't too proud of his of the of his script, so he put his dog's name on the script, and the dog got an Oscar nomination.
1: I wish they showed a photo
0: of the dog <laughs> yeah, at the right. Academy Awards. And the nominees <laughs> are Grey, 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 Greystoke: The Legend, Skippy, was, Skippy the Dog. Yeah. The dog had some plausible sounding human name, but I think it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. You see these the,
1: the full title: 1984, Greystoke: The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Nice. That's the is full that, title. Is that, of that is that the one movie. with
0: Annie McDowell? Um, maybe. Annie McDowell was in a Tarzan movie. I think it's that no, one. Yeah, that, that was the one with Annie McDowell. Annie McDowell uh, and Annie McDowell would go on to star in Four Wings in a Funeral and mm. Michael, and she's a great mm. actor and. Uh, I uh, she was overdubbed by Glenn Close <laughs> it's that. weird that movie is weird weird. Just let
1: her use her accent. It's
0: I fine. It's not as weird as um, the Bo Derek Tarzan. That movie is I not haven't, I haven't
1: seen the Bo Derek Tarzan. Ooh. I've heard the
0: legends, though. Ooh, that's, I, that's a rough
1: one. I haven't seen the Bo Derek Tarzan. I haven't seen the Jessica Lang King Kong, and I haven't seen... Oh, that one's like, so boring. Like, I haven't it's seen like boy Sheena. Show. There's a lot of those... Oh, like, those...
0: Sheena is righteous trash.
1: <laughs> Sheena is pure trash from beginning to end. So, my point being there was this time, like, in the mid-80s when photography just got really, really great, and yeah. you could really see the the difference between like what Hollywood considered to be a prestige picture versus yeah. like their genre films because it, the genre films they, they couldn't afford any lighting for those things yeah they still look good because they're shot
0: on film yeah
1: I, I remember watching a film on tv called the unholy it's just a, a crappy demonic horror movie yeah I
0: think I remember that yeah. um and so there's more like a bunch of people in like a haunted house and like one of them was like cursed or something one of the, yeah, that was? that's the unnameable oh that's the un- yeah no 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 not the unnameable that's because that's the mm. H.P. Lovecraft one yeah and then you know, and this, like, by there's the there's way the demon in the unnameable Has a name. I don't get it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, I'm thinking there's this, one, there's this one movie With a bunch of British people And maybe a couple of Americans Who've been summoned to a house And like the benefactor of the house Is dying And now it's like He sold his soul to the devil Or something And yeah. now one of them Must do the same In order for like The line to continue yeah, th- this one's or, about and, like, a, People get killed or... This is a,
1: a priest Who goes to a house And has to deal with all these de- And learns that all these demons are real It's kind of like a, An exorcist knockoff Okay, I might and, be and, 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 and at the end He ends up like Blowing up demons With the pulley power of his hands nice. and, Yeah, it's like such schlock, but my point being, you know, this was the time when even a schlocky film like that looked kind of okay, yeah, because of a because of it was shot on film, yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- this was just sort of prime time. This is sort of like the height of cinematography, as far as I'm concerned. Before there was a lot of color correction, where they're just lighting and framing everything just perfectly, but mm-hmm. there was enough, like, fluid camera movement that it was really exciting to get behind. Mm-hmm. Sort of, like, the, the mid-80s to, like, the late 90s was, was just really all, all of these really, really, really good for yeah. cinematography. Yeah. And, yeah, this, this is... A prime example of that at work, just all of the the colors and the layout and the way everything was shot. It's just such a gorgeous film to look at.
0: Ernest Dickerson hmm. is one of I, I think one of the most underappreciated, like, filmmakers. Oh my god, Alien 3 was up for best visual effects? Well... The compositing
1: in that film is terrible. Well I'm not I'm not fighting you. Alright. Um, <laughs>
0: sorry, Ernest Dickerson. Ernest Dickerson directed he directed Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, so already we love him. Uh he also did Surviving the Game, which is really, really cool. He did Juice. He did that uh he had an interesting movie, uh, I think it was a DMX called Never Die Alone. Uh, but as a cinematographer, oh my God. <laughs> he did Do the Right Thing. He did Jungle Fever. Mm. Uh he did he did Crush Groove, so you gotta love it. Uh, he did The Brother from Another Planet. Uh, oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, he's he's so damn good. Mm. And, oh, yeah, um, and he's directing TV now. He's doing episodes oh, yeah. of Bosch. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's very yeah. prolific. Um, anyway, I just think he's underappreciated. I just want to make sure people can, people uh, yeah. understand the shout-out. But, um, but anyway, that is it for Critically Reclaimed this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, and next week, we're going to be taking a journey back to the good old Criterion channel. And uh, we love it. And this week, uh, this month on the Criterion Channel, they're highlighting neo noirs. So there's a bunch mm. of uh, new and previously available uh, neo noirs on the channel. Neo noirs are basically films that uh, were made in the noir genre after the genre had been codified, and people were doing it on purpose. <laughs> uh, so these are movies mostly from like the 70s onward. Mm. Uh, and uh, Whitney's picked two he hasn't seen. I've picked two I haven't seen. Uh, real, real fast. Uh, here are the nominees, and every single member of the Critically Acclaimed Patreon over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network uh, can any, vote. Le,
1: any level, a dollar or a Even a dollar
0: a month, you get to vote for this. In addition, and a dollar a month, you also get our Batman podcast. Um, so here are the nominees. Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye, starring Elliot Gould and a cat. Uh, Across 110th Street by the late great Yafet Kato. Well, not by, but starring like Starring yeah. uh, with, ca- with that yeah. great song. Oh, God, what a great fucking song. Across I know the song. I've never seen the movie. the Street. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem, directed by the great Ozzie Davis, and a movie that you know more than I do. You said it's like a modern Leopold and Loeb. It's called Swoon. Swoon, yeah. It's okay. a, a,
1: sort of an early 90s queer neo-noir film oh, cool. by, okay. about Leopold and Loeb, the famous murderers.
0: So uh, if uh, if you head on over to Critically Acclaimed, or the Patreon uh, page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, you can vote for that. Mm. Uh, and uh, the winner should be decided sometime over the weekend you have plenty of time to watch along if you choose to do so either way we'll be reviewing it on next week's show so yeah thank you everybody for listening it's a very big special thank you and a huge shout out to all of our patrons without whom none of our shows would be able to exist so Mm. we're incredibly grateful to you thank you for keeping the lights on uh, and um, if you can't afford to join the Patreon, we totally get it. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to help out the show, there's a lot of ways you can do that. Leave us a review wherever you find us, mm. star rating, a couple of sentences. Uh, that really helps us like, hit the algorithm and like find more people and searches and things. Mm. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. You can also email us. Our email address is letters at critically we also have a P.O. Box for people who want to send us actual physical letters, which we're getting more of, yeah, we which got is very a, exciting. We read
1: a couple on our last letters episode. Yeah, what's our P.O. Box? Uh, P.O. Box, uh, right into the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064.
0: Yep, and uh, and you, know, you can also just uh, tell a friend. Mm-hmm. Someone's looking for a podcast. We got a couple. Two or three. We have so many podcasts. Um, But anyway, (laughs) thank you. Two or three dozen. Thank you very much for listening to the newly redubbed Critically Reclaimed. And we'll see you in a reclaiming way next time. (laughs) One of these days, we'll figure out how to end this podcast. But
1: not today! Thank you for joining us on Critically Reclaimed.